Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, everybody, wherever you are, all over. Johnny Fry and I, James Tiley, we're back. We brought a guest for the, it's our first guest of the whole new year. We are, we are on season five. I'm all excited. Brand new stuff. We're going to do things differently. I'm going to be the, I'm going to be the smart one and Johnny's going to be the dumber one now. But Johnny, what would you bring? Sean Frankson, classic band. I certainly will. Thank, thanks, James. And obviously, Happy New Year and all that good stuff. And I'm genuinely really pleased, Sean. I know we've not spoken before, but we've been from afar following some of the things that Plastic Bank have been doing. And just, I find it fascinating. You're using blockchain technology to effectively turn waste into, into a, a payment mechanism. But before we get into your article you've written in this week's Digital Bytes, be great just to get a background about yourself and about Plastic Bank, please. Perfect. So yeah, I'm Sean Frankson, co-founder and chief technology officer of Plastic Bank. And you know, just about 10 and a half years ago, David Katz and I really went on a mission, you know, really trying to understand how could we reveal the value in plastic, make it too valuable to go into the ocean. And we started to realize where everyone was calling it a plastic problem. It's not a plastic problem, it's a people problem. It's the way we perceive plastic. And we started really just with this simple hypothesis of how could we make plastic waste a currency for change? How could we have it be the mechanism that someone could go out, collect the plastic, recycle, and start to fund their own business, fund you know the starting point to a better life? So basically collecting waste and what, recycling it, selling it, turning it into something that they can then use for what they need to do. Yeah, and, and for us, it really became kind of, you know, the whole end-to-end ecosystem. And when we first started to look at it, we realized we couldn't just be a widget, you know, playing a little part in the middle. So really to simplify, what we do is we have an entire technology platform, an app, you know, back-end systems, front-end systems. But simply, we have this program in developing countries where we're in Brazil, Philippines, Indonesia, Egypt, Cameroon, Thailand, where... All of the collection members get registered, given a digital ID, their age verified. We have our own digital wallet and payment system. We record all the collectors, and we really incentivize people to play a part in this gig economy of recycling. So we partner with the existing collection branches who buy and sell the plastic. They buy from the collection members. They sell to a processing partner. And everyone in this chain of custody of the material is registered and when we register every single person and often it's you know a collection member brings it to a small collection branch they sell it to a larger aggregator they sell it to a branch to a processor the processor sells it to a manufacturer and the manufacturer puts it on a product in the shelf we partner with that entire chain we have every single transfer of that material recorded in our application we know who everyone is and with this, we work in some of the most vulnerable areas in the world, and we pay this you know, digital bonus on top of the existing market rate of plastic. We have special benefits like life insurance, you know, food vouchers, all on top of the market rate. And what this does, it provides an incentive for behavior change. So there's now a reason to make the entire collection of that material fully traceable so that we can guarantee that no child labor is involved. We can guarantee that you're not just taking from these communities and, you know, driving to the lowest price possible. The people using this responsible plastic are actually making sure that if they have to use a plastic, 
Shouldn't it be giving back to the communities, regenerating the communities, helping the people that need it the most? And this is what we are able to do through the technology and specifically with the blockchain, you know, every transaction records this, you know, proof of an event happening, proof of social impact, proof that this material went from one place to another, one owner to another, all in an immutable ledger. And we really get to bring authenticated trust to the people supporting our programs, knowing that the impact was real. Okay, but but when you started this business up 10 years ago, you know, people couldn't spell blockchain, let alone know, you know, what, what it could do. So so how come you stumbled across using blockchain? And do you really need that as a technology, do you think? You know, great questions. And we we're probably one of the earliest adapters, especially, yeah, when At we scale, first, scale, you must be. Yeah. And uh, when we first started, you know, we looked at what was working, what wasn't in recycling. We studied a couple different countries. We started our first pilots. And I realized, especially when when it comes to not just the recycling, but when it comes to the art of providing impact, when you get impact reporting, you know, so many times 80% of the cost is simply reporting, you know, what happened? How do you know that this person received what they wanted? And we really realized that to scale, we almost needed to go from, you know, proof of impact going from an 80% reporting cost to a zero marginal cost, something that was just automated real time. And we also had the pain point of looking at, you know, how do we put millions of dollars into these vulnerable regions and ensure the right people get it, that it's not whatever the equivalent of the local mafia or mob is, it's not government stealing money. And when we looked at, you know, how can we have this proof of payment, a secure way to do it, this is when the blockchain started to come. And, you know, it was about seven years ago that I started architecting the system. We had an interesting kind of partnership with IBM where they helped advise, you know, what's right around the corner. So we actually started working on Hyperledger Fabric, you know, right before it even came out with the IBM teams helping us, you know, put a team in place that was qualified to do it, you know, looking at what we need and what we don't need. And, you know, we just kind of innovated and went through a couple different versions to figure out the right mix for us. But we were also really, you know, really excited that there is this new innovative technology. It's going to go through a bunch of waves, a bunch of growth curves. But how might we start being a pioneer at, as you said, doing it in at scale, different parts of the world, but also just for our unique business needs? Okay, because to be fair, you've been phenomenally successful. You've recycled over a hundred odd million kilograms of plastic you've got 37 37 and a half thousand people involved you know this is it's it's not a small venture you've now you've now created yeah and i think one of the interesting things for us and again we don't call ourselves a blockchain business we are a you know social enterprise with it uses blockchain as part of our system but i think one of the key things is we have a very distinctive business model, like it's a for-profit business. We have revenue streams based on being able to provide the traceability. You know, our even coin system like for our tokens is a stable coin, but more of a loyalty reward program where since the buyer of the material or our plastic credit, since they're funding this impact and proof of impact, you know, all the value we derive through the system is directly connected to our revenue stream. So I think one of the key things, you know, I've seen a lot of people that I've met at different conferences that, you know, I really want to start a blockchain business. You know, my personal belief is, you know, blockchain can play a great part in, you know, a bigger business plan. 
but it isn't necessarily the standalone business. But I think that's also what's differentiated us a bit that it's played it's played the part that it needs to play, but it's not the entire thing. Right. I suppose that's really what I touch on. So you're using you're using some technology, but I'd imagine on a day to day basis, you're not leading with this and saying, "Oh, we're a blockchain business, and 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 this is what we do." You're actually getting on and recycling plastic and rewarding people to change behaviour, and you just happen to be using blockchain as part of your overall tax tech stack. That's exactly right. Okay, and when it comes to the token, the coins, you could have easily just given people cash, presumably, but you decided <laughs> to give them tokens. Is that because you could then have some provenance and traceability as to what was happening to the rewards, if you like the loyalty points that you'd given people for for change of behavior? Yeah, and for us, it, it was interesting. And again, we work in very low-tech, low-digitized areas where it's a bit of a split model where there still is a local market price that people get cash when the collector sells it to a branch. They get the local cash value when the branch sells it to the processor, they get the local cash value. But where we have this layer on top, you know, we algorithmically link that entire chain together. If the plastic never arrives at the processor, there is no bonus to pay out to the chain. If there's other things that we have in our security system to make sure it's real plastic from real people reaching that right destination. And what the digital side really allows us to do is when all those right conditions are met, for our ethical traceable rewards, it automatically pays it directly to the wallet. But also, again, we don't come in and try to start with this existing cash-based system and tell you know the poorest people of the world who need to go get food right away to eat to stop working in cash, only work in our digital. Instead, we provide that all the extra benefit that never existed before is securely done in that digital form. And again, they can cash it out at any time for real cash value. So there's nothing hypothetical. It's not based on a secondary mark. There's no fluctuation. But it's that mix of, you know, what do our unique users need? And how can we securely give them more than what existed before because of this technology? Got it. Got it. And and what's the user experience? Because one of the big criticisms of when you interface with, with tokens and stuff like that is you've got to remember a password and you've got to remember strings of, you know, memorable phrases and 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 that's that that can't be easy when you're working in sort of remote locations where you say it's, it's relatively low tech. Is how do you get around that user experience to make it very easy for respect? I'm sure some of the people are are not super literate, so you've got to make it a very simple system in order to be effective. I'd have thought exactly. And this is really where you know often when people talk about blockchain, there's almost this bias that blockchain has to be you know every possible feature that can be you know, associated to a blockchain and often, you know, referencing the things used in Bitcoin, the things used in Ethereum. But, you know, for us, again, our core business model is real-time immutable ledger with the least amount of energy possible, with the least amount of, you know, friction for a user. It has to work in real time. So if anything, we've really just avoided, let's call it any of those features that we don't need to add in because we are a, I mean, essentially we are the central organization in this. It mm-hmm. is a private network. So we don't need everything to run through, you know, a public blockchain or run through smart contracts when the system logic knows that known users have known permissions. They're allowed to do these transactions. So we're able to do a lot through the system logic while still cementing 
that immutable ledger of that record of truth. But again, this allows us to have a real-time low-energy blockchain by really just using the most relevant aspects to us and doing everything at scale. So from the user's point of view, they don't even need to know the word blockchain. The collection member just comes in, they bring in their plastic, it's weighed, and they're given the cash. And then their app shows them that, you know, your payment has been arrived. So we simplify everything to just a digital wallet for them. And they get alerted when their payments uh, met that, those conditions. Right. And they take their, their, presumably their cell phone, their mobile phone with the with the, the digital wallet app that's been downloaded. And they can then go and spend that as if it was like Apple Pay or something simple like that. Exactly. And we partner with whatever the most popular local digital wallet is in the country we operate. And at any time, they can transfer their funds from our digital wallet to the local spendable digital wallet, which then just gives them real cash value anywhere. And yeah, different countries usually have a different wallet of choice. And that one integration allows our tokens to just, you know, a trigger a payment from our account to their account and retire the tokens. Um, and what's the base? What's the base currency? Do you operate out of Canadian dollars or US dollars? Or Yeah, so we operate out of US dollars. And even as a Canadian business with global clients, even our European clients pay us in US dollars. So the way that we stabilize everything is by doing it one token is one cent US, all our reportings in that, but the, also the ones funding the impact are paying in US dollars in the first place. Therefore, it's stabilized to that American currency, which then avoids really anyone from our side from having any kind of currency fluctuation, fluctuation losses when it's all just based on that real-time dollar value. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Brilliant. Well, James, what do you reckon? I know you've been... Um... You've been looking at tokens and been involved in this for, for a long, long time. Any thoughts on what Plastic Bank are doing? I'm going to make a bold statement, right, to Sean. No one in the world is going to understand what you've said better than myself. We should probably talk offline because you and I do the exact same thing in total different worlds. With that said, we are now best friends. Here's my question. Um, so I'm familiar with recycling you know, as the average Joe, in, and especially in a, here in the U.S., like in New York, we're always recycling steel, metal, aluminum, copper, right? Down here in Georgia, you got guys that drive around, they collect the, the metal, and, they, and they're paid like two cents a pound at the local recycler, right? Essentially, this is what you set the price for plastic. Is that a fair statement? I'd say we enhance the price. So there's a, let's call it a, market rate based on what the current buying and selling patterns are and then we play we pay a secured guaranteed bonus on top of that which is usually up to about 30% more than the market price once you have the bonus so we have a stable bonus but yeah recycling is a fluctuating market which makes it a fun lovely industry to learn so, so yeah so and i didn't know this so so the collector and i'm trying to make you know layman's term this all down so the collector who's doing this, it signed up with you because I didn't know. So plastic already has uh, an incentivization fiat wise, I guess is what you kind of like copper and aluminum. I didn't realize that. So they're getting paid. I hate to use that term, but they're being rewarded with your stable token on top of the current going value of recycled plastic. Correct. Okay. And KYC, I understand for age limits, you know, and, and being thoughtful and moral. 
Now, do they come to you? Is there like this is a this is a recycling center where they come to you and they sign up? How like where is the plastic? Are they just uh, go out on a mission to a beach in the Hamptons and pick it up plastic? Or am I am I did I miss that part? Is, is there like you're partnering with recycling centers? Yeah, so let's say combination of two aspects here. One, sadly, in most of the areas we operate in the world, you know, waste management is not something that's government funded, that's widely available. So often the plastic is really, you know, in the community, in the streets and the waterways where it's slightly cleaner. It's often, you know, done through collectors picking it up directly from households, directly from these localized places. And you can think much more like an Uber model where we learned very on, you know, if there's any existing people in a collection business, we don't want to come in, set up shop, you know, put the local competition out of business to thrive. We're a digital ecosystem that really invites anyone involved in the existing chain of recycling, you know, become certified, follow our code of conduct, age verify your members, and then everyone becomes part of this reward system. So we really certify and kind of technologically empower the existing chain, but we're often recycling prices are low enough that it's a last resort. You know, it it really often is the poorest of the poor that recycle at market rate. And we found if you can just increase that market rate by a certain amount that one, you know, it stops being advantageous that you actually can be providing, you know, a significant wage to people. And then you attract more people with you know every extra couple pennies that that plastic is worth more people are attracted to participate and this you know increases the amount of collection going on and then increases the amount of people that really you know buy in to do it to other, whether it's part time full time but whenever possible yeah we try to empower the existing and attract more and more participants to that starting point yeah to your point like i said out here in 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 the us there are people that recycle full time for that monetary value. That's their gig. That's what they do. So you're becoming a service provider. Would that be a better statement? Yeah. I mean, I really look at it kind of that gig economy of one, I guess there is the service to the community of cleaning the community, providing the jobs and, you know, really providing a way to transfer that value from, you know, the developed world that's usually using the plastic, that's producing the plastic manufacturing having that value go back to these, you know, low economy areas that then can start to, you know, regenerate where the raw material is coming from as compared to just taking from it. Yeah, and, and I'm most, totally into most this. your projects centers are in, as you say, in, in sort of d- developing economies, you know, in, in sort of Southeast Asia, Latin America, Africa, places like that. So presumably you're making a reasonable additional contribution to their monthly income then. Yeah, so it's usually about 30, yeah, about 30% of an increase is what our bonuses do. And we're continuing to look at how we scale the benefits on top of it, where most of our areas we've introduced life insurance, work insurance, uh, digital food vouchers, education programs. And what's also unique for us, and again, we are a for-profit business, we sell essentially authenticated impact to our partners who either are using the plastic in their manufacturing meeting extended producer responsibility requirements for offsetting. And, you know, whatever that combination is, most of the companies that work with us 
you know, they really want to figure out how do we make an authentic, not just plastic usage, but an authenticated impact that they can tell their staff, they can tell their consumers, you know, here's something that we support, here's the difference that it makes. And since they really drive, you know, that it's got to be this real audit proof, audit ready, authenticated impact, you know, this drives it there. They are funding these extra social benefits because it really does add that making a difference, not just slapping a label on a product. Okay. And and this this is why you can afford to pay 30% more than the secondhand or the price of recycled plastic because you have large or well you have organizations they don't need to be large that will say look we want to spend five ten fifty hundred thousand pounds and even more in certain cases i know as part of our esg credentials we want to be able to say to our staff our shareholders our stakeholders that you know we're doing something tangible and that something tangible could be giving your company money and then they get an audit proof to show what's happened to their say twenty thousand dollars they've been given to you and how have you helped to sort of pick up x amount of plastic and and help people in those communities yeah no that's exactly it and just as i said we're we have our proof of collection proof of impact and now we're out really kind of adding these additional layers of impact and exactly as you said many companies have an initiative that we really want to make this kind of impact you know in these kind of areas how do we do it in a way that we can just trust and not get sued for greenwashing and you know yeah. many times people try to do good and then there's these little workarounds and holes that you know really ruin the authenticity we get to be that drivers of authenticity to really make it safe to make an impact and celebrate that impact is this coming to the US anytime you know we continue to look at the different models we're obviously economics in Canada and US is very different than in, you know, Southeast Asia and Africa. But we have ways that really anyone can be a change maker with offsetting their own footprint, you know, different school programs. So it's a little bit more of a action education based things that we have and a change maker program that we're just launching in a way that yeah, really everyone can play a part. And later in the year, we'll be kind of launching new ways for people to participate. So participate differently, let's call it, in different areas of the world. Okay. Well, Sean, thank you very much for your article. It was entitled Revolutionizing Recycling, Blockchain's Role in Creating a Wasteless World. And it's it's a long title, but I think it encapsulates exactly what you're doing. And maybe we'll uh, try and get you back on to um, the Digital Bike Show later this year when you've um, rolled out those new initiatives. But uh, say thank you very much for coming on to the show and and thank you for listening to digital bike show we'll be back on the airwaves next year um next year next week james and i will be and if you'd like to get a copy of uh, sean's article then i know sean is on linkedin it's sean s-h-a-u-n frankson f-r-a-n-k-s-o-n or just reach out to myself johnny fry j-o-n-n-y-f-r-y or james tiley on LinkedIn or Cyber.fm or Team Blockchain and we'll get you a copy of the article but otherwise uh, we'll be back with another selection of examples of how, who, where and why blockchain technology and digital assets are being used in different industries and jurisdictions next week. Thanks, thanks James and um, we'll be back soon.